The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're in Egypt for fava bean falafel, Turkish coffee, pyramids, and cheap plastic souvenirs. Really fun statues of like pyramids, that which I know are a little bit cheesy souvenirs, but we totally have those at my house as well. <laughs> I've written about this before. I'm totally in favor of cheap plastic tchotchkes. <laughs> Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with Sandra Bernstein, my good friend here in Sonoma County. Sandra, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It looks, I did my walk at six o'clock. It was absolutely gorgeous. We walked a little further than normal, watched the sun come up, which was amazing, and um getting ready for some more rain this week but yep. yeah it can all considering i'm feeling fine okay good getting ready for for yeah. the holiday get ready for the holidays we're taking a lot of orders we have a lot a lot of turkey orders yeah <laughs> i can imagine very interesting yeah yeah i was just telling you that we have 180 reservations at the yeah. fairmont for thanksgiving and I, I can't even imagine i don't know i mean it's all weather related so yeah it's, yeah it'll be so, interesting yeah, yeah. either we'll you have guys a, should get some more umbrellas like handheld umbrellas for people oh we have a lot okay. oh that's <laughs> yeah. true that's right you have yeah. Well, speaking of water, how can hey, you get this one? Smooth transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's there's so much to talk about in the food world. I mean, whether, you know, and when Brian and I first started, like thinking about like, okay, well, we're not going to talk about wine, you know, we're going to talk about food, but that incorporates so many things. It could be people that like to eat. It could be people that are really good chefs. It could be people that make products to bring to chefs or to the table. And so I think we've been able to advocacy organizations. I mean, if it's like the bite goes on, I was thinking the other day, it's like you think you have to chew on it, but I think chewing on language and chewing on concept is also chew, like chewing on food. So, um, you know, in searching for fascinating, interesting things, and especially because I'm in a learning zone this year during COVID, want to learn as much as I can, um, have this fabulous list of unique artisan food producers. And we have our first seaweed company visiting. Welcome Avery and Catherine from Daybreak Seaweed. Thank you so much for having us. It's wonderful to be here and I love that introduction. Yeah, I'm like, I'm looking for the surfboard behind you guys. Like, I don't, like the surfboard, you're like totally, you're water girls. In the back of the house. <laughs> and and Sandra, when Sandra first told me, you know, that you were coming on the show, I was like, you know, seaweed, I think for a lot of us here in Northern California was the thing when you went to the beach that you sort of picked up and threw at your little sister um, to kind of gross her out. And then as, as you get older, you know, and sushi became more and more popular, going to sushi restaurants, you know, more and more we became familiar with having it on our plate but then when you I you know I started looking into seaweed and seaweed production and farming it's actually fascinating that it's the global economy and how many different products that seaweed is actually already in that you probably don't know about but you guys focus specifically on food correct Yes, our, our passion is food in general, and our whole lives, I think, have revolved around farming and food. So, um, yeah, that's the focus. But you're totally right that seaweed is in so many different food products that you wouldn't know, and so many different products from agriculture to plastics to fuel. Uh, it really is an incredible crop that's being um, used all over the world in millions of different ways. 
And did you know that McDonald's in 1991 had a burger called the McLean burger that actually had seaweed in it? No, no, no for, idea. For four years, it was on the menu. <laughs> Isn't wow. that amazing? I can't believe I didn't that know that. Is, wow, that's crazy. And seaweed was like a big part of Native American um, diet and culture. And I think because they sort of got, you know, as as people settled into North America, we sort of pushed the Native Americans to the middle of the continent. They, they sort of moved away from the oceans and I think we sort of lost that art. But um, Eastern culture, I think, has has always had a, um, a, a long history with um, seaweed and using yeah. it in food. And it's actually um, Native Americans, Native peoples all over the world eat seaweed mm -hmm. and have, you know, since time immemorial. Um, and Native Americans in California still do. And it's still a traditional um, food that's eaten here as it has been for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. But it's also eaten in Eastern cultures, like you're saying, in, um, you know, in Northern European cultures. We sell this great cookbook that's written by folks from Northern Europe. Um, in Chile, they love a type of seaweed that we uh, tried to farm. It's just once you look into the culinary side and the of seaweed, you know, you can that could be your life's work. Yeah, I it's and, yeah. I mean, I know next to nothing. I mean, we have a, a noodle. We have Noodle Spring, which is our ramen pop up shop that we're doing out of the girl and the fig, and so the chef has a couple different types of seaweed on a few of the different dishes, probably is flakes or um, bonito maybe, or bonito seaweed, I don't even know, no. No, I don't know. <laughs> we have to start from the beginning. You got to tell me. Yeah, no, 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 let's start with this. I mean, for Avery and Catherine, maybe just tell us, you know, where you grew up and, and yeah. you know, from there, how you came to meet and start this, um, start this yeah. venture. Sure. Uh, this is Catherine. I grew up in Southern California, um, close to the beach, always, you know, the, the coast was kind of the meeting place and the play full place um, for my family. And I uh, went to school in Ohio and it was there, got really interested in local food. I was a biology major, but always interested in kind of the um, ecology side and um, lived and worked in the um, student co-ops there where we bought all our food from the local farms around. So I was kind of like blending this interest in biology and food. Um, and so I started working on farms after graduating or like organic vegetable farms um, and kind of hopped around and made my way to the Bay um, and it was here that I really, well, there's a lot of twists and turns along the way, but it was here that I really um, started getting interested in seaweed as this local food that, um, you know, in California, there are hundreds and hundreds of species of seaweed. And I was kind of curious, like there's so much talk about local food systems here, but what about local seaweed? Um, and that really just kind of led to a independent, you know, curiosity. Um, but I um, was working for another small food business and um, met Avery. And um, at that time, we had a third founder too. And we um, would always just kind of talk about seaweed and local food systems. I'll let Avery give her intro, but I'll, she also has a background in food and farming. Um, and it was really seeing some of the seaweed farms that were popping up on the East Coast. Like there's, you know, Maine and New England have this, um, have a longer history of seaweed farming um, than California does that we really started just trying to talk to people in the seaweed industry and talk to people who had had experience with seaweed farming to, to kind of ask the question if seaweed farming could happen in California. Go for it, Avery. All right. Um, yeah, Catherine touched on a lot. I, I had a different childhood. I grew up in landlocked Wyoming on a cattle ranch. 
Um, so I did not grow up with seaweed at all, um, but I definitely grew up with sustainable agriculture and farming and surrounded by farms and food production. Um, and then I went to college on the coast in, or I went to Duke University in North Carolina, but I spent a semester on the coast at their marine lab. And that's really where I got interested in the ocean and fisheries um, in aquaculture. And yeah, my road from there was a little windy. I, I was always trying to have one foot in farming and one foot in food and uh, try and balance that. I worked at some restaurants as a line cook. Um, I worked on a few organic vegetable farms. And then I just got really into working with farmers um, and started working with farmers mainly in East Africa. And it doesn't, you wouldn't guess it, but that's really where I saw seaweed farming for the first time. I was living and working in Tanzania and there is a whole economy of women seaweed farmers in Tanzania. Um, and it's just this fascinating world that I started to learn more about. I uh, came back to the US for grad school, met our other founder and Catherine, and they, you know, together, the three of us just would riff on seaweed and how could we get seaweed farming into California? Seaweed farming had never commercially happened in California before. And we were very motivated and very excited to be the first ones to do it here. Um, wow. But, wow. but all the, <laughs> we couldn't. So oh. we started working with Hog Island Oyster Company and did a pilot farm um, in Tamales Bay, which was fascinating. We learned so much, um, but it was only permitted for research. So uh -huh. we learned a lot, but we couldn't sell it commercially. And since then, you know, we've been trying to farm here and it's just a long road. Um, and so, yeah, at the beginning of this year, we decided while still you know, keeping one foot in that world, farming in California, um, we decided to start working with seaweed farmers in Alaska. Oh. And Alaska has been very supportive of this new industry. And so we've got to work with a farm as their first year harvesting um, last summer. And it's just been this amazing learning curve for us and for them. And um, it definitely, is like invigorating to get back into that seaweed farming world. So a couple things. One of them is what is the issue here in California? Is, is it regulation or is it environmental? Yeah. It's, it's regulation and it's regulations um, that are in place for very good reasons, you know. Um, really trying to protect our beautiful coastline and the regulations have done a great job to do that. Um, but the trick is that, you know, aquaculture used to get such a bad name because you think of like, uh, you know, destroying mangroves in tropical countries. And do you think of finfish aquaculture that are being fed by wild harvested, you know, populations of uh, smaller fish. So you, that wasn't very well articulated, but <laughs> Um, basically aquaculture gets a bad name and seaweed aquaculture is completely different. Mm -hmm. Like it literally growing seaweed takes carbon and nitrogen out of the water, um, makes the, you know, the water column cleaner and better for shellfish to grow. It provides habitat for marine organisms. It provides, you know, a carbon neutral source of food that doesn't need land it doesn't need fresh water it doesn't need fertilizer zero inputs zero inputs right. it's just fabulous so and i read that it seaweed produces 60 percent of the world's oxygen i've also read that algae i don't, algae I don't know does. If that's, I, that sounds like a lot i mean i'm thinking <laughs> yeah. of the amazon rainforest as being a you know a big lung for the planet but not really thinking that that was something that the ocean could do as well with um, seaweed under kelp or algae, right? Yeah. How fast does seaweed grow? There's 
seaweed is such a broad term. It can okay. mean everything from like the giant kelp forest. That's all that's in my head. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the iconic yeah. visual. But there are also types of seaweed that are, you know, tiny. It's just the word for any algae that grows in the ocean, like any algae that's a seawater algae. Um, so there are some that are like really small and kind of spindly, but those giant kelps, what I've heard and, you know, what we've, um, what's been referenced is that it can grow up to a foot a day. So oh some God. of those kelps can grow really, really fast. That's, yeah, a foot a day. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's a really efficient type of, um, you know, type of organism. It's just taking sunlight and minerals from the seawater and without, you know, more complex like structures, it can it can grow really fast. So that, and then I'm thinking like like wine. Like, is there is there different regions that grow different species or varieties of seaweed better because temperature of the water or uh, I mean lack of movement or um, you know. It, because so, I'm thinking you're talking about Alaska. So then instantly I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm thinking like glaciers and then having these seaweed or kelp forests in the really cold water. But does seaweed grow better in colder water or warmer water? There's seaweed that grows all over the world. So there's some that are, you know, that have, that grow in warm water, but the, but California kind of Northern California to Alaska has this really abundant um, ecosystem of algae, partially because cold water does hold more nutrients. So cold water, um, you know, just creates this great environment. Um, and yeah, we have heard some people use this term meroir, like kind of a take on terroir. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's kind of just, a, um, <laughs> like adapted from um, land farming, but that yeah. there, there can be different tastes in, in seaweed kind of based on different, you know, dynamics of the environment. So right. what would be like a basic tutorial for like, is there something where we can start from and then expand on? Like if someone were gonna have, like if they didn't have I don't think everybody knows that sushi is wrapped in seaweed. I don't think they know that nori is sea seaweed necessarily. But like if someone's going to taste seaweed for the very first time, like is there a species that they should go for or or is it a, yeah, or is it a way of processing this better? I mean yeah. I don't know even what to ask right now. That's, no, that's how fabulous a, this that's is. That's a great question. <laughs> I, personally, you know, and maybe it's influenced by some of the people who come up and talk to us. I do think nori is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. It's a red algae. Um, so all the kelps are a type are in the class brown algae. So they're just kind of like a different, you know type of seaweed than the red algaes. Um, and, and partially because of sushi, partially because those nori sheets are now, you know, roasted and salted and sold in Trader Joe's. Um, and Costco now. And Costco, I know so many people come <laughs> yeah. up to us and, and tell do us eat, that. Do you eat those? Are you asking me or them? Well, anybody that wants to answer. Oh, <laughs> I can say that we buy them. I'm the only one in my house that eats them, but my daughter's best friends are triplets. One of the triplets, Kaylee, is addicted to them. She, so she's, I think she's been eating them since she was nine or 10. We, we hear that so often. So many people, um, so many kids, their first um, taste of seaweed was those seaweed sheets and those seaweed yeah. snacks and it really is like open even the past three four years that we've had this business so many more people are familiar with seaweed because of those snacks and so many parents are now like you know taking a small step into cooking with seaweed because their kids love those snacks so I feel <laughs> thankful that those <laughs> snacks exist. I personally don't eat them because we're spoiled and we get 
you best. know, we have so much local seaweed that we um, can eat and cook with and explore. Um, and I would say Nori is, de like Catherine was saying, Nori is definitely a good intro because of those snacks and because of sushi, but also wakame, which is a seaweed that we love is super mild. It's the seaweed you would find floating in miso soup or the seaweed in seaweed salad, or it's similar to that. And um, our species in California and Alaska are just mild, a little bit sweet, not at all fishy, mm -hmm. and are really a good like gateway drug to the world of seaweed. And we, I mean, this is like a plug for our business, but we sell them in flakes. So you can just like sprinkle them on eggs, use them anywhere you use salt. So you can start using them in a very, you can start incorporating them into your diet in a very easy way. Um, yeah, and without too much, you know, without that fear that it's gonna taste like the seaweed rotting on the beach. <laughs> now, how do you get seaweed here if you can't really, can you buy seaweed in California? Yeah, you, you, you can, can buy it. You just can't, but you can buy local seaweed. Yeah, there's, there's some local companies that harvest seaweed here and sell in the natural food stores like Rainbow, Berkeley Bowl. We sell our seaweed in Rainbow and Berkeley Bowl, buy right stores like that. Um, I'm, I don't know if you can buy it like at Whole Foods or Safeway. But you can also buy Asian seaweed at, um, you know, Korean, Japanese, Chinese markets. Mm -hmm. um, we really prefer local just because it's traceable and we know where it comes from. And one important thing about seaweed is that as it grows, it absorbs carbon and nitrogen, but it also absorbs heavy metals from the water column. So you want to make sure that the seaweed that you eat it has been grown somewhere that is super clean and pristine. And um, that's one of the one wonderful things about seaweed is it has all these micronutrients and all of these trace metals that you really need in your body, but you just wanna make sure that it wasn't grown somewhere with a toxic metal. Right, and, and then, our, to, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Catherine. Just to clarify, because we earlier said that farming yeah. isn't happening here. Right. That's kind of like farming, like, you know, you're cultivating seaweed on a line, you're, you're anchoring it in buoy, you know, with buoys, kind of like you're creating a seaweed farm out in the okay. ocean. What's already been happening in California um, is companies wild harvesting. So they have a permit from Fish and Wildlife to, you know, wild forage, wild collect. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a dozen or two um, businesses that have those licenses that are selling local wild collected seaweed. So now that seems counterintuitive to me because if you're talking about regenerative farming of seaweed, you're actually continually replacing the seaweed as opposed to what is you're telling us is now legal for them basically just to go harvest, but then they're not, they're not replacing that supply in some way, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, go ahead, Catherine, you had. No, I mean, that's right. I think seaweed is a sustainable food to wild harvest, you know, of all the, you know, wild fisheries, seaweed is a quick growing um, and abundant, an abundant, you know, resource. But you're exactly right. It, you know, we are interested in a world where this kind of regenerative agriculture and aquaculture can happen. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of um, a lot of regulatory agencies in California, and without a precedent to turn to to look at, like, right. oh, there, th that's the seaweed farm yep. that's happened, and um, it's, you know, it's just a complex, um, it's a complex issue. There are a lot of people who are anti aquaculture of any kind, so mm -hmm. it's, I mean, the more you go into this world, the more nuanced there is and you see all these different perspectives but um but yeah is, we advocate yeah. for a regenerative aquaculture economy yeah that's that's always the problem i mean regulation is good right especially when you're talking about the ocean like we don't we don't want people just being able to do whatever they want in the ocean right but 
There are some models. I mean, there's a guy, uh, Bren Smith, who I guess, I mean, you guys probably know who he is. I yeah. mean, he actually teaches people how to do this and says you need 20 acres, $20,000 in a boat. Um, and you can start it. But, and now he's, I've seen what he does is has the seaweed and then below it has like mussels and clams. And then down below that has like scallops, um, and maybe crustaceans down at the bottom. And then he's just, they just pull it up on the lines and harvest it with almost like um, hedge trimmers or something, right? So that yeah. seems like there's established models out there that could that could show whoever it is in California that, hey, this is something that we could be doing and doing safely and responsibly. Yeah, there are. Um, and there, you know, Another kind of complex element is that California, our coastline is um, rocky and, you know, not, there's very few spots that are protected. Where they're doing it, he's doing, Bren is doing it in um, the Long Island Sound. There's kind of big protected bays and calmer areas. Um, so that's another element, but um, yeah, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, environmental governmental right <laughs> but yeah i think there are models i think there is a lot of interest in it there is um there is work being done it's just slow to happen i think and um it's, in a way it reminds me of you know how everything is now if you want to make it a political issue how things are on the left is very different on the right on the right it's we're gonna drill drill baby drill on the left it's let's use wind power. So you put up a turbine and then one bird flies into the turbine. And next thing you know, you're in court for five years over, over wind power. So I understand that how it can go down that road of, okay, there's, there's always a slippery slope, especially with environmentalists that once you give them an inch, they're going to take them. Once you give them one acre, they're going to take 20 acres and who knows what's going to happen. Or, or cannabis for that matter. I mean, that's an industry that's not new, but new to become regulated and new to, you know, the people that are out there having to regulate it are learning as they go, you know, they don't know. I mean, and yeah. the same in charcuterie. I mean, health department, like charcuterie and salamis, they've been made for thousands and thousands of years and, you know, with no preservatives or, you know, methods that you didn't need to you know, use certain things, but people today, they don't know those old ways. And they think, no, you have to have this and it has to do this. And it, it's, I, I think your parallel with the cannabis industry is actually interesting because you have larger, or let's say larger investors that seem to be getting the opportunities over smaller investors mm -hmm. like Catherine and Avery mm -hmm. and definitely financially driven. So at some point, you know, when you get large companies like that involved, all of a sudden, oh, regulations start to ease a little bit because the almighty yeah. dollar is starting to get made. That's, so, I think that's such a great comparison. And that's one, yeah. like Bren Smith, that you who you brought up is wonderful and really supported us um, in our pilot farm and has over the years. And, but we joked with him, like in California, you don't, we at one point we won this grant we had twenty thousand dollars we had a boat and we're like bren why can't we start our seaweed farm <laughs> and you know in california where things are so regulated we're very concerned that um that the folks with more capital the bigger businesses are going to be able to get permitted just because they you know they have more time they have more money and lawyers um, and lawyers <laughs> and that small producers are going to be squeezed out so i think that's you know that's agriculture in america and <laughs> in everything um but that's since seaweed farming is a new industry in or is not yet an industry in california and is a new industry in a place like alaska i think there's a lot of folks who are really focused on how can we do this equitably um, because we have this opportunity where there aren't interests aren't entrenched yet. Um, so I think that's there's some great work being done in Alaska with um, indigenous farmers with 
small scale farmers who used to, um, you know, crab or fish. And since some of those fisheries have been hit pretty hard, how can they diversify their income by growing seaweed? So I think there is a lot of energy and we fully support anyone who's trying to, you know, start this industry off on the right foot. So I guess like also when you think about it, I mean, there's the farming part of it. There is making your specific recipes and what happens like how you are now purchasing it from farms and then what you do with it once you get it. And then obviously the marketing part of it and getting it out to stores. And so what would you say the percentage of your time is in like all the different areas of, of the work? That's a great, great question. Yeah, <laughs> I think one, one cool thing about seaweed, about any farming um, industry or occupation or, you know, restaurants like you all have that are based on seasonality is that our schedule, we're lucky to be able to work um, kind of in tune with the seasons. So it really depends, you know, after seaweed, seaweed harvest. I'm sorry, is seaweed seasonal? Yes, so seaweed um, on our coast from California to Alaska is harvested in the spring to early summer. Okay. So just like any crop, it has a time when it's at peak um, freshness, peak nutrients, and peak taste. Um, and before, you know, all of the, uh, it starts degrading for whatever reason. So that's when you want to harvest it. And so after that harvest, we are full-on processing seaweed you know okay and now then, i need to know what that's like like I, I know. okay so I'm you okay. get a call and it's just you know if you were a, if you were a winemaker they'd call you and say come pick your grapes if you're how are you getting the seaweed how is it getting from alaska to you and then are you, or are you going to alaska to help we would love to do that, but COVID has made that very difficult. But in the future, yes, that would be cool. I think this is our first year um, sourcing from Alaska, and it's a farm's first year harvesting. So this year, we tried out a lot of different ways. Um, it was also a very difficult year because of COVID, obviously. So, you know, we tried getting fresh seaweed here that then we dehydrated and then we have a mill. So Catherine and I literally get the seaweed, we dehydrate it, we mill it, we make it into an ingredient that we can use in our products. We also tried getting it shipped here frozen um, and it literally goes on a barge from Alaska to Seattle and then in a truck here. They can start using cruise ships now for that. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's a great idea. Just, just fill it up. <laughs> You're going to have to find something to do with all those ships. A lot of big boats. <laughs> a lot of big boats. Yeah. Yeah. But, but basically that's amazing. So yeah, something like that where it has another purpose because we are trying to figure out a way um, that's less resource intensive, you know, right. because yeah. that's our goal. So, you know, if um, we're working with farmers, if they could dry it in Alaska, then you're shipping, uh, it's a lot less to ship, you know. So yeah. we're, we're in the midst, we're learning how, how that is. But in the past, it's like Catherine and I, and you know hundreds of pounds of seaweed just trying to process it before it <laughs> while it stays at peak freshness yeah and and i think that's like one of the big issues is the lack of processing infrastructure right i mean there there's a lot more seaweed that can be processed on land um so that's something that's going to have to get figured out as well i mean who wants to build the plant that's going to that's going to do it and now when you guys are doing this are you are you number one okay <laughs> seaweed is a vegetable correct classified as a vegetable it's it's technically an algae so it's not a okay. plant but yes as far as food safety and food concerns it's classified as a vegetable okay so it's and like it's like a mushroom like you i mean in food safety like that's a vegetable but really it's a fungus Oh, so, I mean. so interesting. Is there seaweed that is actually toxic? Um, not in California, like, um, but 
there's definitely seaweed that tastes bad. There's seaweed that you wouldn't want to eat. And then when you talk about toxicity in seaweed, it really matters where it's grown. So if it's grown somewhere where there are toxins in the water, then yes, it could be toxic. Selenium or heavy metals or things exactly. in the water. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And so let's talk about food. So how did you two decide, let's say, okay, we want to have seaweed as a food product. And was there like an aha moment where you ate something or was it just talking to people? That's a great question. Hmm. I think for me, but Catherine, you've been familiar with seaweed for longer than I have. Um, it was just going out into these pristine waters of California and knowing that it's not like mushroom foraging. Like I also forage for mushrooms and that's so dangerous and you have to be so careful about, you know, about toxic mushrooms. And I just loved going into these pristine waters of California and getting to taste everything in there. You know, that's like a foodie's like dream. Like some of it you spit out, it's disgusting, but some is delicious. And to me, just being in, you know, at low tide, out in the ocean, being able to like, taste all these different flavors and all these different types of umami really just got me excited about like how how can we share this with more people and is the type that you're getting is it the one that almost looks like um like a lasagna pasta the long sheets with the little ridges on the sides i bet you're thinking about sugar kelp which is a type of kelp that this farm grows uh -huh. the, um the one that we're working with is called Alaria or um, Alaska wakame, and it has a midrib, so kind of like something that looks like a middle stem, and then it's like kind of ruffly blades on the side. Okay. The one that when it holds up, it full on looks all wavy is usually yeah. sugar kelp. Okay, and and so you guys decide we want to make a food product out of this for a number of reasons. One is health benefits. I'm assuming one of them. Um, and can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits of eating seaweed? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I think some people look at seaweed farming and ask, hmm, what can we do with all this new kelp that's about to be farmed? But for us, we kind of came into it from our interest in food. Um, but seaweed, you know, all seaweeds have really high nutritional properties. They're all vegan, obviously. Um, but they're just high in all these minerals and some vitamins. So um, seaweed's really high in iodine, potassium, magnesium. Um, there's types that are really high in B12, which is hard for vegans to find. So, mm. you know, the, the sea, the ocean just has all these minerals. Um, and so seaweed kind of absorbs a lot of these, a lot of these really um, important essential nutrients. And seaweed's also just, you know, kind of naturally low calorie and high fiber. So it's a, a pretty, you know, a pretty special food substance. Avery, I might've forgotten some, any other? Well, it, I think that was great. And there's so many, and it, when you start looking at the nutritional profile of seaweed, you realize how little we know about <laughs> nutrients in their importance, but it has so many trace minerals that are really important. Um, for human bodies to function. And then it also has a lot of protein, which really surprises people. Nori can have up to 30% protein by weight, um, wow. which for a non, you know, for a, essentially a vegetable, that's really amazing. And like Catherine was saying, B12, B vitamins, um, A, calcium. Um, wakame has a lot of calcium which is really great also for folks who don't eat meat or people who, like us who do eat meat. Uh, it's just a great way to supplement. Bren Smith, who you just mentioned, his latest book is called Eat Like a Fish because a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the things that make fish a healthy, nutritious food is because the, at the base of their food pyramid is algae and seaweed. So omegas, you know, it's just a, healthy food and for someone like me who has thyroid issues so I have low thyroid I think hyper 
hyperthyroid. <laughs> so I'm taking Synthroid or something like that. You can actually, now it can be really positive, but then if I eat too much of it, could be actually have negative effects, correct? Yeah, especially kelps. So eat like Catherine kind of went into the different kinds of seaweed. There's three big buckets of seaweed. There's green seaweeds, brown seaweeds, and red seaweeds. Brown seaweeds, which are kelps, they have a lot of iodine. So if you, um, you know, if you have issues with your thyroid, it is good to be careful because the great thing about seaweed is it, is, it has iodine and it's hard to find um, iodine in a lot of, you know, that's why we iodize salt because it's right. hard for people to get it, but you don't want to have too much. Um, yeah, I'd love to see more research on if there's actually examples of people eating too much seaweed and getting too much iodine, I've never read a paper on that, but it's something to be conscious of. Whereas nori also has iodine, but that's a red seaweed. It has a lot less iodine. Okay. So, and, and actually by taste, if you tasted nori, then it would taste less salty than other seaweed. Or it's, does it, is it translatable? Tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. It's because the salts in seaweed are, um, not sodium chlorides. They're like sodium potassium and other um, kinds of salt compounds that it's hard to taste just, it's hard to do it just by taste to see how much iodine would be in a seaweed. I would say in general, you just say kelps have more um, and the greens and the reds have less, but it is for folks who are really into eating sea salt, one thing that people often forget is that sea salt doesn't have iodine in it. It's not iodized. And right. so what we've made is like a salt and seaweed mix. So you're essentially getting like a naturally iodized salt. But I, I definitely would love to learn more about thyroid and seaweeds. Yeah. And so what is the, so you guys decide you're going to do the business. What is your, like your first product that you decide you're going to come up with? Like in what sort of iteration is the seaweed going to be used? And are you thinking like, oh, like the cliff bars, we can make like seaweed bars. Are you thinking like, what's long-term, what, what are some of the things you're thinking about using? I think we started <clears throat> back in the day um, excited about seaweed as an ingredient. So we were, um, you know, when we first started, we had a product line that was based on wild harvest that we had whole leaf kombu, whole leaf wakame. Um, and that still is exciting to us so people can cook with seaweed. But we had so many people come up to us and say, this is great, I love what you're doing, but I don't know how to cook with seaweed. Um, and so we did make a snack um, that was called Surf Snack um, that maybe we'll be back one day. <laughs> it's on pause right now. My fingers are crossed. Fingers are crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, we, our goal looking forward is to, to um, really look at the industry that's starting in Alaska and be able to create seaweed products that are easy to use. So right now we have um, seaweed flakes that are really easy to put on eggs in the morning or use like salt, bake into it's really great with like brownies or any, you know, chocolate dessert. Um, and then from there, we hope to, in, you know, kind of increase that line of, um, of seasonings and ways to kind of incorporate seaweed into a, into a daily, you know, daily diet. Cause that, that's really our goal is seaweed, this amazing food. It's so good for you. It's so good for the ocean. It's good for the planet. And just uh, there's a huge barrier for a lot of people and like, I don't, you know, people think I don't cook Japanese food. How can I eat seaweed? And we just want to overcome that barrier that anyone can eat seaweed. We have these products, these flakes that Catherine was talking about, and we have recipe cards we give out with them to with for like chocolate chip cookies or for dips for your like charcuterie platter or you know, for all sorts of, for roasted vegetables, like just millions of ways to use these and get these nutrients, get the umami, which is just adds a depth right. of flavor to any, any dish. 
And like focaccia, I'm just imagining focaccia, like warm yeah. out of the oven and drizzle a little olive oil and then sprinkle some of the flakes on top would be amazing. And Sandra, Sandra's cookies that she was talking about, she actually, don't you put sea yeah, salt on the top of it? Need to, do a, need to do a seaweed yeah. version. Yeah, no, I'm going <laughs> to place my order later today. But do you know of Dr. Cowan? He yeah. is um, on, we should try and get him on the show. Uh, he's like, um, he makes a, it used to be called a nori powder, but now um, I just looked it up. It, he calls it a sea vegetable powder. And um, I heard about it maybe three years ago um, and kind of for the same thing, adding it, you know, as your seasoning. And he's uh, Dr. Callan, C-O-W-A-N, but he has a whole line of um, different powders from vegetables, all different veg vegetable powders and squash powders. And he does the same thing. He has recipes and his is part, you know, focus on health and you know, also being really sustainable. The powders come in glass, um, they're expensive and they're small, and then you can buy refill pouches. And so I think he's thinking sustainably also on packaging. And, um, you know, there's probably that hard thing about like, yeah, you want everybody to taste seaweed. You know, we want it to be accessible to everybody for your business to continue to grow. And at the same time, you don't want to underprice it because as the world changes and margins change, you know, you want to be able to be competitive and be able to add distributors and be able to add brokers and, you know, all of that. And, you know, I've learned mostly the hard way through our retail, our, our retail products. We have a line of fig food. Um, one thing I would say is like, if I were starting over today, I probably wouldn't do jam or jelly necessarily, or I would change the size that we're doing it because a lot of people, you buy a jar of jam and it could be in your fridge for four months. And maybe you have 10 jars of jam because you like every flavor, you know, or you have a favorite jam maker and you have to, every time they create something new, but you don't finish that jar the same way as you would a cliff bar or something like that. And even like I was cleaning out my cupboards um, this weekend and I was like, oh my God, I've got a lot of different kinds of salt that have probably been there for years. And so that was just a really good lesson for me in, you know, and we've talked a lot on the show about, um, you know, less is more and people should spend a little bit more money getting the best quality that they can and, you know, keeping things fresh. So I think, um, I, I guess in my mind, I've compartmentalized that to think that seaweed and the flakes and the things that you're doing should kind of be in that, in that place, in that space in the market somehow something that's accessible to people and maybe that's as simple as what nori sheets are you know i mean there's lots of things people can do with that but then when you look at you know whatever dr cowan's doing i mean when you think about how much seaweed you need to make a powder to you know the effort that it goes in and you know the, the coarse grain that you mill it and i mean i think that's really interesting and probably a lot to work out. He uses amber jars. Huh. Yeah, which is interesting. I think his, but uh, like the light, he, he'd be worth looking into. He's a really cool, cool guy. Um, and, and I came by that through, I was on a health, excuse me, a health retreat for a couple weeks. And there was, you know, the exercise person and the, you know, the dietitian and the nutrition and the, the brain people and the feet people. Yeah. It was like a gift oh. I gave myself that a few things stuck, like, not that I have any of this right now, but that was part of their cooking, you know, part of how do you get more nutrients in your recipes? And, you know, it's also like, I think, working with young mom, you know, young moms, you know, like having, how do you get that market in young? Because I think a lot of people my age and, you know, you go to the market and I don't think I would be that comfortable going, oh, I'm going to buy 
a selection of seaweed products because you don't have that unless you were a surfer, I think, <laughs> you know, or you're a beach babe, you know, because you don't, it's so different. It's so different. And so I, I just, I couldn't be more excited for you because I think that, you know, you're in this space that is, you know, other than all the snacks in those packs, and I'm not really, I know you love them, Brian, but I'm not really sure I've tried them a couple times. Um, I think it's just a lot of packaging for just a little amount of food. And that kind of makes me a little crazy, but I get why it is because you don't want it to crumble. Very smart doing flakes, you know, very smart. Um, you don't have to worry about that as much, but um, yeah, I think, I think, wow, I, I don't want to be so cliche and say the world is your oyster. <laughs> But I think that, yeah, it's, I, it's so exciting. It's really exciting. I mean, yeah. I want to learn more about it. I, I'm really fascinated now. I think you just articulated a lot of what we think about and a lot of what makes it challenging to be a small food producer. I mean, you both know, but um, it is challenging to figure out packaging, to price products you want it to be accessible you know and I think you know I personally live my life that I you know want my purchasing to reflect my values and so I do buy you know yeah less is more is kind of you know one of my mottos and so it is you know we have a hopefully a long road ahead but also a lot of learning to do um and a lot of opportunity. To there you go. Also change, a lot of opportunity. Make change. Right. And a lot of it is education, um, you know, which is neither Avery and I come from a marketing and business background. So it's been a learning curve of how to, how to reach more people and how to, you know, tell our story. So it is exciting. I think we're both exciting and, um, and both being, you know, food and, environment lovers um it's exciting to be producing a food that has these environmental benefits like I think it it's something we're so excited about and mm -hmm. just uh just been a unfolding journey and how is it how do you guys interact with your potential customers I mean are you at like like do you go to a farmer's market or do you do in-store demos at some of the stores that you're offered in how are you getting the word out about seaweed it's that's such a good question and in the past year that has changed so much we used to do farmers markets we used to do demos um we for us being at a farmers market it's really important to be able to sample because people are scared of seaweed you know but once they try it then it converts them and they automatically want to buy it you know but we can talk to them all we want about seaweed until they have it they taste it they're still intimidated, most people, that's generalizing. But so without sampling at farmer's markets, we've stopped doing farmer's markets. You can't do demos in grocery stores anymore. So we're really trying to get creative. We're trying to talk about these recipes. We tried to do a little cooking show on Instagram for like an Instagram live, which was amazingly yeah. awkward. Yes, um, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I can't go on that route. But hey, tell um, us. Can you tell us about that? What What did you make, and 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 what was kind of challenging about it? That was just our first foray. Catherine is amazing on Instagram. She's our voice and storyteller, and I think we uh, a lot of our education nowadays, since COVID, happens on Instagram. So we thought okay, let's try this Instagram live thing. We'll do a super simple recipe, which was like nuts with seaweed flakes. Um, it was like baked, delicious snack that's super easy to make. And I think we're just both uncomfortable behind the camera, <laughs> but it was, it was fun. I hope a couple people listened to it. Catherine, do you have some more thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, I think there's an element of, you know, 
natural skill and an element of practice for things like that and we maybe were a little low on both of those levels but um it's like you can't practice exactly yeah you have to just do it and exactly you know that's like I always think like when I started on Twitter or anything and you have no followers it's really easy because nobody's watching you yeah and then as you start building and building and if you don't take your chances early on then when you have a lot of eyeballs, then it's like, oh God, what did I just do? Yeah. But people, you know, people have very short memories right now. So, you know, you should try it a few more yeah. times. <laughs> and that recipe's on our website. It's a okay. great, it's a great kind of nutmeg. Wait, the video or just the text of the recipe? The text <laughs> is on our website. Okay. The video <laughs> has been destroyed. <laughs> no, it's still live. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. I'm I mean, gonna go watch it. it. Yeah, go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're trying to educate people. We're open to suggestions. Yeah. I mean, this is great talking to you all because we get to answer questions about seaweed, what it is, yeah. why it's good for you, and how to use it. I mean, that's just the more folks are talking about that, the more open people are gonna be to giving it a try. Yeah, and honestly, I don't I don't think that being polished is necessarily, yeah. you know, a big selling point with, with what you guys are doing. I think yeah. having a yeah. an honesty about you is yeah. much more important and I think people will pick up on that. Although I, I haven't seen the video, I'll tell you later. <laughs> so, so, okay, I have a thought because I can't help myself. You know, the little tiny packets of salt that you that come in paper and you pop it open. So, I mean, they're like- um, In and out fries. Yes, right. like the little ones and you pop, you should find the people that do that and get some of your things in there as samples or individual packs because first I was thinking about mustard and ketchup and then you go back to the plastic part and then I thought oh my god but what about those paper things that's a great, great idea really and then and then you go to the people with the ghost kitchens that are doing all these meal kits and give them a handful of it and let them start putting it in their recipe packs and then, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put the web address I'm on the so little packet with a link to recipes. Or, or like, yeah. a, like a Splenda. Those are cute too. Those little skinny, yeah. it could look like seaweed. Yeah. I think it's a great oh, idea. A especially idea. I don't know. I just age of COVID. alone. Yes. Sandra's <laughs> selling, she's hurts. selling her girl in the fig family <laughs> empire and she's going to come work work for you guys <laughs> yeah. it, it's just it's hard I mean we've learned a lot of lessons just the hard hard way and um you know it's harder now because you know you're right there are all these things that you would normal normally do you can't really do now good food awards you know, you know, Sarah and all the, the good food people. Yeah, we yeah. Heard, I, I listened to your interview with her. I oh, loved good. It. it was so fun. You remind me a little bit of her. She's so great. I oh. We actually got to participate this year and we just awesome. um, were awarded a finalist for. Hey, I, I can't wait for the mercantile. I know I should be like have a jar, you know, with all my change. I'm going to spend so much money on good food. <laughs> it's I'm so, so excited for it too. And I didn't realize how much they, you know, they support producers so much it's just such a blessing to have an organization like that especially for small producers who can't compete in you know the specialty foods awards or whatever yeah 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 so cool the other person i was thinking was um the people kitchen table advisors um i don't know if you're they they work with different types of farmers and help them I know it doesn't sound like you guys need any help really, but I find them interesting because they have a financial segment of how to scale and how to do this. And, you know, I don't, they, they have worked with people like from going from the raw product to a packaged product and some stuff like that, but um, really cool non 
nonprofit and for profit, I think they do a little bit of both, but um, yeah, they're, they're really cool people. Yeah, that's a nice reminder. We've definitely heard of them and I think yeah. been connected or like one degree um, from yeah. connections, but yeah. I'm sure they have no sea farmers. I doubt it. Don't yeah, you think, right? They probably don't have anyone in the ocean. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I didn't know until you told me who was coming on the show and I started looking into farming, farming of seaweed. Like I went down the rabbit hole and at some point, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like thinking, this is awesome. We can replace soy and feeding um, um, animals and get rid of like cows when you feed them seaweed, like produce so much less methane. Like there's all these things you start learning about and you're like oh my god why are we not doing this like right now why isn't there like a this great industry in california which would totally make sense and we're all into regenerative farming so you know why right you know why it's because the people in big business that are smashing the people down well that's how are you know not letting those voices and there's there's money there's money because of the, the all of the different potential uses for seaweed, one of them being fuel. Now, when you talk about yeah, the fuel industry, you're not talking about, you know, guys in garages making fuel to power their car. You're talking exactly. about big companies. Yeah. yeah. That can yeah. squash you. But what people love about this story is pe when people learn all of that, who is it that they want to buy their seaweed from? Do right. they want to buy it from Exxon Mobil, <laughs> big guy company, or do they want to support people like Avery and Catherine, which well, is what Avery, people, yeah. right, which is what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's just uh, getting so more and more, it's getting it out there. It's getting more and more people actually interested in the story. Like, and it, all it took was, you know, for Sandra to tell me that you guys were coming on. And now I'm like, it, it got me like, I have a million and one questions and I'm excited. Yeah, seaweed is one of those things, especially seaweed farming, that it's easy to kind of go down that rabbit hole. And there are so many exciting applications. So yeah, yeah we definitely are here to spread I the mean, word. Yeah, we could do like a whole show on just how to farm it or, right. you know, all the different kinds or all the different recipes. I mean, I don't even think we scratched the surface, but <laughs> yeah. people's minds curious. Exactly. And it's so everything you're saying is so true. And it's so inspiring to us like seaweed in in a world where not there's not that much inspiration these days. <laughs> seaweed is really exciting. And we get a lot of students reach out to us who are excited about it. You know, I think it's really the day in California, it's coming for seaweed farming. Um, we get everyone from, you know, high schoolers to PhD students. Um, who are excited about it. So I think we're on a positive trajectory here. Very, very fun. So and people, what, Brian? Oh, I was going to say, let's let's get the, the website out there. <laughs> yeah, and what, the, what and can the, people buy and where can they buy it? Yeah. The website is daybreakseaweed.com. Um, on that website, we ship nationwide. So that's an easy place to buy it. Um, on there, we have our seaweed flakes, our seaweed salt, um, wild harvested kombu, and nori flakes. And, and then a few um, cookbooks that we really like and some other little kits and bundles. Um, right now, for Bay Area people, we are in Berkeley Bowl, Rainbow Grocery, I'm trying to think of just the big ones. Um, Palace Market, if you're up in oh, Point Reyes, or Surf Market, if you're in Gualala. We really need to get you guys into Miracle Plum in Santa Rosa. I don't know if you know that store, but- um, Oh, Glenn seriously, and, good one. Yeah, Glenn and Sally. We would love to be. They're amazing. We, we've oh, been following you know them. them. Well, oh, we know of them. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. But we would love to be. It's such a well curated store. Such yeah. great brands. Yeah, I yeah. think they would love it. Yeah, no, really it fun. makes it just makes sense for them to be in there, and that way, then I could go get it while my daughter's in her um, at swim on her swim yeah. team in Santa Rosa. Yeah. 
I could pop Perfect. over and grab it. Yeah. And instant kids love it too. So maybe your daughter will get excited about right, it. Right, which I wouldn't have thought until I saw Kaylee eating it like it like they were potato chips. And I was like, that's sort of you, you just don't think that a kid would yeah. like something like that. Cause typically, like I said, you're at the beach and you're smacking each other with it. Is what, <laughs> is what kids and so they sort of and and it's the smell of the ocean that they sort of, you know, of seaweed sitting out for two or three days. So it's sometimes right, the they're thought of as, right, yeah. of un, unpleasant when that's not at all what it is. And totally. it's, yeah, yeah. Um, Instagram account, um, Catherine, you're the one that's curating most of that. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, we both, okay. we both pop in and out, but it's mostly me. That's just daybreak seaweed. Okay. okay. That's where we keep folks updated, but we also have a newsletter. If you go to our website, you can sign up. We send out emails every few weeks um, with recipes, like discount codes, um, and also on Instagram. Uh, we That's kind of where we keep our community updated. Okay. And now, do you guys have other jobs or is this your main focus? We used to have other jobs and a couple, two years ago, we went full time. So this is full time for both of us. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to promote while you're... uh, Less parting words. uh, Maybe, you know, sprinkle a little on the turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, well, that's... (laughs) That's actually a great point. You make turkey soup afterwards if you add kombu. Even my mom who's made turkey soup forever and was terrified of seaweed now adds one little bit of kombu to her turkey soup and says that it's just transformed it. Wow. So, <laughs> um, so that or just sprinkle seaweed on, you know, anywhere you'd use salt. It's it's worth a try. You'll be surprised how delicious it delicious it is and how it just adds that umami it's a it's another layer of taste yeah yeah and i suggest going on the website and looking at some of the pictures of the food because then you'll get an yeah i know it it does yeah i'm chopping um catherine you're gonna send me a photo of the two of you so i can post it okay yeah sounds good so awesome so great to meet you and thank you um, both yeah thank you yeah good luck to to you Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Fully supportive behind Yay. you. <laughs> well, thank you. Women thank- business. I love, love, love. It's great. Thank you so much. You two yeah. do so much in the food world, and this podcast is such an amazing resource. So thanks no, for having thank us on. Well, it gives us the opportunity to talk to people like you. So, yeah, and, totally. and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All right. If you want to check out some of the past episodes, you can go to thebikegoeson.com. If you'd like to leave us a review, you can do it on any of the social media podcast platforms that we're on. Love to hear from you. As always, love to hear suggestions on guests somewhere in your area. If you're in another part of the world or the country and you have someone amazing that's an incredible mushroom forager or a cheese maker or a chef, something like that, drop us a line. We'd like to hear from, especially in this time of COVID where we're doing everything over Zoom. We don't necessarily have to be in the same uh, state or country. So (laughs) drop us a line. Avery, Catherine, thank you so much. You guys go out um, to our listeners. Thanks for listening. Go eat more seaweed. And thank you all our listeners for the support. We really appreciate it. We love your reviews and keep listening because it gives us something to do. And happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. All right.